the Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com Welcome to Disability Matters with your host, Joyce Bender. All comments, views, and opinions expressed on this show are solely those of the host, guest, and callers. Now the host of Disability Matters, here's Joyce Bender. Oh, and welcome to the show. And let me tell you, you tuned in to a really good one. Oh, yes, indeed. You're going to love this show today. First, I have to thank you again. Your following on this show the last five years has just really helped this show move up to the top and, you know, what can I say other than I have great listeners and a great following? And you know why? That's because we're all about one thing, equality of life for Americans with disabilities. That's why I told you at the beginning, you are going to love this show today. Because today we have a true civil rights leader for Americans with disabilities, a friend, a champion to all of us, Mr. Jonathan Young, whom I first met many years ago when he was working in the executive office of the President of the United States as the Associate Director Office of Public Liaison during the Clinton administration. And currently, he is the Senior Counsel at Fox Kaiser, but let me tell you this, He's still working every day, every day, working for freedom for Americans with disabilities. Jonathan, welcome to the show. Thank you, Joyce. I'm delighted to join you, and I certainly have many fond memories of meeting you back in the East Room at the White House when you received the President's Award, and I'm just honored to have had the chance to work with you and get to know you over these um, almost 10 years. Oh, well, the feeling is mutual. As you'll see, I'm going to be telling a few Jonathan Young stories as we move along, and I want you all to know this, really, listening to the show today. This is a young man who really, truly is dedicated to quality of life for Americans with disabilities. As he mentioned, when I received the President's Award at the White House, I can still remember him greeting me, you know, before we went in, and boy, what a great day that was. I was so overwhelmed. It's it's hard to imagine. That was 1999, so that gives you an idea of how long I've known Jonathan, and through all these years, he's never stopped being an advocate. So I thought we'd talk about that first, Jonathan. I thought we could start by... For listeners throughout the world, what caused you to become an advocate for Americans with disabilities? Well, Joyce, you know there's a potentially very long and complicated answer to that question, but let me uh, try to keep it short. Uh, I broke my neck in a wrestling match uh, my senior year in high school, and I was initially paralyzed from the, from the shoulders down. I'm what's called an incomplete quad, and I had a fairly substantial recovery, uh, even though there was residual paralysis largely on the left side. And so that's the point at which I became a person with a disability. But I think for me, for sure, and I think you know, many people, as people with disabilities, uh, becoming a person with a disability and identifying as a person with a disability and becoming an advocate don't really occur at the same time. And for me, after my injury, I didn't really think of myself as a person with a disability. I just sort of, you know, walked funny. I didn't have the sort of physical strength that I used to. And honestly, 
for me, uh, disability was initially an enemy. It was something kind of I wanted to defeat, and if I could escape any visible sign of um, an awkward gait or using a wheelchair, for me, that was sort of what I was aspiring to. And it was a, a gradual process where things really began to change for me was when in 1996 I had an opportunity to come to Washington to write a history of the Americans with Disabilities Act for the National Council on Disability and for Gerben DeYoung, uh, who was the National Rehabilitation Hospital Research Center director who had a contract with NCD. And I was a Ph.D. candidate in the time. I was writing about 19th century political, uh, I'm sorry, 19th century intellectual and cultural history. It had nothing to do with, you know, disability uh, as such. But it was a, a great opportunity, and so I stepped in to write this history of the ADA. And a few things happened. One, I was just blown away researching and writing about this extraordinary community of advocates who pulled off an amazing legislative accomplishment of the ADA. And I did a lot of oral history interviews with leaders in the community, and I was just resoundingly impressed by the individuals who also helped me kind of think through my own identity as a person with a disability. One of the very specific defining moments for me came in the summer of 97 when I attended the Society for Disability Studies annual uh, conference. And uh, it's, it's kind of hard to put into words, but I was kind of saying earlier that I was sort of embarrassed about my disability and wanted to kind of hide being a person with a disability. And all of a sudden, I was surrounded by people with all sorts of different kinds of disabilities, and I feel like I, I felt like I could just be me and not have to be sort of, you know, embarrassed about it. And that was sort of a very specific moment of uh, sort of thinking of myself as a person with a disability and especially importantly as a community of people with disabilities. And shortly thereafter, about a year later, as I was writing my dissertation on the history of the ADA and the disability rights movement and writing about how the disability rights movement was like other rights movements, uh, I had an opportunity to go uh, to work in the White House. And uh, you know, it's funny, I may tell the story at some point here, but uh, Justin Dart had contacted me about going in to work in the White House and didn't really know what it was about. It was just about disability, and I was eager after having written my history of the ADA and reading and writing about this extraordinary group that I wanted to get in and do my part. Is that who contacted you, Jonathan? Justin Dark contacted you. It was funny. He called me up one afternoon, and in his very sort of Justin-esque, you know, FDR-like cadence of a voice, you know, said, well, Jonathan, you know, I'm calling about something very urgent. Uh, I have two questions, and I need to know today the answer to both questions. One will you allow me to nominate you for a position regarding disability in the White House? And two, if you're offered the job, will you take it? And I need to know the answer to both questions today. And I uh, had one brief conversation with my father, and I called back Justin about five minutes later. He didn't know what the job was, but I just felt like an opportunity to join the Clinton White House wasn't an opportunity I could turn down, so I called back and said yes. What a great story. I never knew who it was that called you. And by the way, Yoshiko, if you're, I know you listen a lot to this show and you know, Yoshiko, we love Justin. We love Justin. There will never be another Justin. I mean, he is, was just an unbelievable force. So 
You know who Jonathan's talking about is Justin Dart Jr., who really was the general behind the Americans with Disabilities Act, um, and, and really just an f- unbelievable civil rights leader who passed away a few years ago, and his white, wife, Yoshiko, is still out there fighting for freedom and, and equality for Americans uh, with disabilities. But what an honor to have him be the person that nominated you. Well, Joyce, there are so very, very many things I am uh, admire about Justin, and you may not know this, but we actually lived in the same apartment building uh, during my years at the White House, so I had many opportunities both to work with him you know, in the course of professional business, but also to be around uh, he and Yoshiko and their family, and that was just really an unspeakable honor. And, you know, it's um, – I remember – one of the uh, I had met with Justin before I went into the White House, and I remember asking him for his advice. And he told this story and said that the favorite article that had ever been written about him was something titled "What's So Great About Justin Dart." And I thought, what a bizarre kind of you know story to pick as your favorite article. And as I looked at the article, it talked about all these wonderful achievements that all of us know about Justin and his work on the ADA and um, you know on the National Council on Disability and his community you know, grassroots organizing, uh, and kind of explained all of that away about how people with you know various you know resources and you know different opportunities that he had could do things like that. But it all came to the the final point, which was what's so great about Justin Dart? And the answer of the article was he loves people. And it wasn't about money or anything. That's just who Justin Dart um, is, who he was. To the core, he loved people, all people. And, you know, in the truest sense of the word, was a great American patriot. And he always approached things as an us, as a community. He loved everybody around him. And that sort of infectious smile uh, was just riveting. And, you know, you, you may have heard this story. Um, I wasn't... Uh, there at the time, but when he received the Presidential Medal of Freedom, uh, he had the medal and he would, as he greeted people, you know, hang the medal around their neck and basically say, look, this is your medal. And that sort of embracing of a community and loving people uh, was just extraordinary. And um, a couple other things I admire about Justin. One was, I mentioned I'd asked for his advice going into the White House, and he said, well, listen. And, and Justin listened. He always listened to people, and, and and that's something that served me well going into the White House. I tried for you know initially not really to say anything or do anything on my own part, just to kind of listen to what people were saying. And um, you know, one more quick thing. Uh, you know, Justin, he always understood his role, and as phenomenal as a human being as he uh, is, and as phenomenal as he uh, was for our community, he never tried to be everything. You know, he wasn't the policy expert. He was the person that had the vision who brought us together. And and that's always been instructive to me, too, because all of us have different roles. And you know, I think the challenge is to, whatever our role is, to, to do that well. You know what? I agree with everything you have said, um, especially, you know, well, everything is accurate about Justin. I think of Justin, I think of the person who could bring everyone together. You know what I mean, Jonathan? Exactly. He exactly. could bring all groups together. It did not matter who it was. And and I also think about how humble he was right. and how that right now, you know, if he's listening up in heaven, he's saying, hey, don't be talking about me this way. <laughs> because that is how he is. I mean, he just always wanted to, 
you know, give credit to the people, to everyone else. It's not me. It's, you know, it's all of you. It's you that are out there. Um, and, boy, if there could be a great lesson learned from Justin Dart, it would be he really embodied the do unto others yep. uh, as you would have others do unto you. And he really embodied love thy neighbor to the highest level. I mean, he just really got it about being humble, being kind. Um, that was him. That was him right till the very end. That was him. And uh, I only wish I had known him more and known him longer. I'm blessed that I know Yoshika so well. But um, for those that grew up with him, like you, Jonathan, I think that's really, really was a great thing for you. Yeah, I like to think of him as sort of a, a bright and shining star whose light reflected off of everybody around him, and he helped all of us be better people in his effort to empower others and not just, you know, empowering himself. Truly a extraordinary human being. And if you're listening to this show, and especially if you're a young person with a disability and you don't know about Justin Dart, you need to go to Google and put his name in and read about him. Because one thing that bothers me is that sometimes we don't realize that we also, people with disabilities, we also have a history and that it's important to know our history and that, that it's important to know who Justin Dart was and what legacy he has left that we're supposed to be carrying on uh, today. I always tell Yoshiko, whenever I have a hard time, I'm at a meeting, I'm always thinking he's still there with me. Right. That's what I'm always thinking. So... Uh, with that, we're going to go to break for a minute. Then we'll be right back with Jonathan Young, a real champion of hope for all people with disabilities. If you just tuned in, you're listening to Joyce Bender, America's Voice, where disability matters at voiceamerica.com. Don't go away. We'll be right back with Jonathan. Have you ever thought about having your own Internet talk show? Well, if you said yes, then click About Us. Then click Be a Host to get more information. Or just call Jeff Spinard at 480-294-6417. Say that again? 480-294-6417. VoiceAmerica.com. Mom? Dad? How long should I wait for you? Mom? If I'm at soccer practice... What if something happens? Will you come get me? There's no reason not to have a plan in case of a terrorist attack. Mom, if you're not home, should we go to the neighbor's house? And some extremely good reasons why you should. Can you tell me? Everybody should have a plan. Take five minutes to talk about where you'll meet and how you'll get in touch with each other in an emergency. For other things you can do to be prepared, visit www.ready.gov. A public service announcement brought to you by the U.S. Department of Homeland Security and the Ad Council. I'm Garcelle Beauvais-Nylon. When I played a DA on NYPD Blue, I got all the facts before trying a case. Yet many don't know the facts about epilepsy. There are two and a half million Americans with the condition, and one in ten Americans will have a seizure in their lifetime. People with epilepsy want to lead normal lives, but too many of us don't know what epilepsy is or what to do if someone has a seizure. To learn more, visit epilepsyfoundation.org or call 1-800-332-1000. VoiceAmerica.com 
If you have a question or comment, call in toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. Now please welcome back the host of Disability Matters, here's Joy Spender. Hey, welcome back to the show. Oh, we have a great show today because we have my friend and your friend, Jonathan Young, Senior Counsel at Fox Kaiser. But when I met him, he was at the White House during the Clinton administration. And, Jonathan, we have just a ton of email questions for you that all were around one subject, and that is my next question. And the questions we were asked from our listeners wanted to know what it was like to work at the White House, in the executive office of the president, being at the White House every day, what was that like? You know, it was exhilarating. It was ridiculously exhausting. It was an unspeakable honor. I think, you know, the opportunities I had to be around President Clinton, you know, whether it was a a small gathering or a public event, I couldn't just help but grin from ear to ear. And I I never... uh, never stopped thinking about how just lucky I was to to be there. It was very intense, though, I will say. I remember one person, it was either right before I went to the White House or soon after, they said to me, well, Jonathan, the challenging thing about the White House is the margin of error. There is none. And that might have been a little bit of an exaggeration, but it was instructive. I mean, things just moved very fast, and the level of scrutiny and the level of demands, both from the outside in the community and inside the walls of the White House was was intense, and um, uh, it was a twenty four seven job, uh, many days literally. But it, it was fabulous. It was it was a great highlight of my life. I mean, Jonathan, did you ever get used to this? That you were going to the White House to work? I mean, did you ever get used to that? Boy, I'm not sure you ever get used to it. It it, it it was always awe-inspiring to me. And, you know, people see the, the television, television show, The West Wing, and you know, it looks like everything's taking place in the West Wing. You know, most of the staff are next door in the White House complex inside the, um, uh, the executive office building. And, you know, there'd be occasions where I'd be going over to the West Wing, either for a meeting in the West Wing or for an event in the East Room, and particularly, uh, or something in the Oval Office. And particularly at those moments, uh, no, nah, you, you, you don't get used to it. It's, it's, you're continually reminded of how amazing it is. I, I just want to say, Jonathan, how well you represented the disability community, how professional you are, always have been. You know, before we got on the show today, I had not talked to Jonathan for a while, and he's telling me, yeah, I had a few little things happen. You know, I got married, I have three children, and I uh, went to law school. That, that's just sort of how he is. He is very accomplished very intelligent, but he does not lord that over you. So I guess you did pick. You also follow John, uh, who we talked about, Justin Dart, before, but you really represented us well. Well, you're, you're very kind, and I will say it starts at the top. I mean, the reason for my position was because President Clinton decided that he wanted for the first time to have a full-time person, a person from the disability community, doing liaison work to the disability community. And that's because he uh, understood disability issues and wanted that kind of you know, representation. So to the extent that I was able to, to do things, it was because we had an extraordinary president who wanted to make a difference in the lives of people with disabilities. 
Well, before I want to ask you a few questions about President Clinton because I want people to realize how much he did to help people with disabilities. But first, before I do that, we were talking about uh, Justin. There is another person we have as a mutual friend, and that person is Tony Quello who, by the way, is speaking tonight at CSC at the Bender Ambassador event. But he is one person that I know is very important to both of us. And I know that you have been a person that he has also mentored. So I I wondered if you could talk about that for a minute. Well, sure. I, I feel very lucky to have several surrogate fathers, if you will, and I call Tony my political father. You may not actually know this story, but uh, we received an award together my freshman year in college. It was the National Rehabilitation Hospital Victory of the Human Spirit Award, and I'd been a patient there, and most of the recipients were big-time celebrities, and then there was me. And after the award ceremony, uh, Tony Coelho had also received the award. He came up to me and said, well, Jonathan, you know, it's a pleasure to meet you. I was very impressed by your story, and I want you to come work for me. And I just kind of thought he was joking. But... um, I thought, well, you know, what the heck, I might as well write him a letter. And at the time, I'm a you know, physics major in college. And I wrote him a letter. He wrote back and said, well, I want you to be an intern for me next summer. And uh, so I came and joined him as an intern. And he set me up in the, um, the majority whip office. And to me, a mentor is, you know, largely about opening up to new opportunities. And Tony is uh, the reason for my being involved in politics. I... He brought me along to the majority whip meetings, brought me along to the Democratic caucus meetings, took me to Jim Wright's you know, press conferences, and just opened a fascinating window into politics. And I went back to college and uh, switched from uh, physics and engineering to political science. And you know, one of the things to me about mentoring is it, it, it doesn't necessarily all happen at once and doesn't need to be you know, sustained. Uh, after I you know, did my internship, after Tony left Congress, uh, we lost touch for, um, to some degree for a few years. And when I came back, um, when Justin had called me for the White House, uh, Tony was then the person who also, you know, very vigorously promoted me for that position. And, you know, so we've been in touch, you know, on and off throughout the years. And then most recently, I'm just really honored to have had a chance to work with Tony side by side. Tony is a person who just makes things happen. It's extraordinary to watch, uh, truly extraordinary, and I'm grateful for the opportunities to, to work alongside him. And one thing that I you know, want to say about Tony that's just really key, you know, right now he's doing a lot around um, really trying to push our community uh, along the lines of other communities to be represented in the administration. And certainly Tony has an objective for the community and what he wants to achieve by having people placed in various places in the administration. But Tony never loses sight of the individual, and he's always looking out for, you know, how can each of us sort of reach our own goals. And uh, I really admire that about Tony. I mean, he sort of has a remarkable ability to balance the big-picture community and also looking out for us as individuals. Uh, You know, I couldn't speak highly enough of him. As you well know, he became my mentor over 11 years ago when he was the chairman of the board of the President's Committee. It's so funny, the one thing we have in common, which I never knew that story that you just told me, what we have in common is that I met Tony at a MEF Foundation event. 
And I only talked to him a few minutes, telling him what I, you know, what I do. And he looked at me and said, oh, okay, well, I'm going to put you on the board of the President's Committee. And honestly, even other people that heard him saying that said, oh, you know, that'll never happen. It's very hard to get on the executive board of the President's Committee. And you know there's a lot of politicking for that. So, like, don't get your hopes dashed. And I said, okay. And I went back to Pittsburgh, back to my office. Three days later, later, here comes the letter telling me that I'm on the executive board of the President's Committee. And that is how he is. He is a make-it-happen person. I want to tell you, I give Tony great credit for the ADA Amendments Act because he worked behind the scenes nonstop to make that happen, and I'm sure you know that, Jonathan. I I do, and nonstop is a good way to describe Tony. Uh, It's extraordinary. I know. He has unbelievable energy, this man does. I, I tell him that every time I talk to him, it's because of Tony that, um, as all the listeners know, I have, uh, you know, I also am a person with epilepsy, and it's because of him that I'm going to be on, that this May, I will be the chairman of the board of the National Epilepsy Foundation. But it's Tony that, you know, nominated me for that and really just had a tremendous impact, you know, on my life and he never stops, and he's not in Congress. You know, most people, like, retired, they, they really are retired. Tony doesn't know that word, retired. Well, it's amazing because he doesn't need to do what he does. He does it because he has a deep and abiding and passionate commitment to our community, and, you know, we all owe him a lot for that. Yes, and I hope all of you listening to the show understand what Jonathan means. This man could just sit at home, and yet he is nonstop working for Americans with disabilities. I mean, thank God we have him. That's all I have to say. So tell me, Jonathan, if you had to say one thing that Tony taught you the most, what would it be? Boy, that's a good question. Um... You know, I, I think it's not anything that he sort of expressed in words or that I could even remember at a particular moment, but it's just something that's sort of emerged bits and pieces. But it's it's be true to yourself. There, there's a way that Tony, um, you know, does, doesn't, you know, not to try to, uh, how can I put it into words, uh, he wants he wants people to follow their convictions. He he wants people to do what they do because it, it comes from within as a, as a sense of what you know and believe to be right. He doesn't want you to do things because you feel like you know, that's what you think you're supposed to do. And you know certainly in a world of politics, that may seem kind of a, a a surprising thing because so much of politics you know appears as show. And, and maybe this is part of what Tony why he was so successful. But, you know, I, I really think that Tony, you know, has done and continues to do what he does because of his conviction. And uh, and that's certainly an, an extraordinary lesson that he's taught me. Well, Tony, if only you were running for president, because I'll tell you, my mother, Jean Saletti, would be willing to be your campaign manager. You have big fans from all of us. But I I want to tell you, Tony... You mean the world to many of us for everything that you do. 
And with that, we're going to go to break for a moment. If you just joined us, we are talking to Mr. Jonathan Young, Senior Counsel at Fox Kaiser, but more importantly, Civil Rights Champion for all Americans with disabilities. We're going to go to break, and then we'll be right back. You're listening to Joyce Bender, America's Voice, where disability does matter every day. We'll be right back. News. Opinion. Your voice counts. Call toll-free 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. VoiceAmerica.com. I'm Garcelle Beauvais-Nylon. When I played a DA on NYPD Blue, I got all the facts before trying a case. Yet many don't know the facts about epilepsy. There are two and a half million Americans with the condition, and one in ten Americans will have a seizure in their lifetime. People with epilepsy want to lead normal lives, but too many of us don't know what epilepsy is or what to do if someone has a seizure. To learn more, visit epilepsyfoundation.org or call 1-800-332-1000. Over there, over there's the water. Whoosh, whoosh. And look at all this stuff I'm standing on. It's called sand, and it's everywhere. This woman may sound silly to you and me. It's made up of little tiny pieces of rocks. Teeny little pieces of rocks. But to her two-year-old son exploring the world around him, <laughs> she makes perfect sense. How does it feel when you touch the sand? Is it warm? Uh-huh. It's hard to hold in your hand, isn't it? Uh-huh. Learning starts long before school does, and children are naturally curious. They want to learn, so follow their lead. Take simple, everyday moments, like sorting laundry or playing on the beach, and turn them into learning moments. Is this water? No. Very good. This is sand. Oh, <laughs> no, no, it's not food. It's sand. We don't eat sand. <laughs> Turn everyday moments into learning moments. Find out how at PornLearning.org. Brought to you by United Way and the Ad Council. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com If you have a question or comment, call in toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. Now, please welcome back the host of Disability Matters. Here's Joy Spender. And welcome back to the show. If you just joined us, we're with Jonathan Young, Senior Counsel for Fox Kaiser. But when I met him, he was at the White House working with President Clinton. Uh, As a matter of fact, as I mentioned before, I met him when I received the President's Award at the White House, I think I already knew you. I think I had already met you before that, Jonathan. You probably were involved in coming to the President's Committee. Um, and I also remember at the anniversary of the ADA that the, how you had the people uh, and the staff of the White House playing basketball. Uh, right. That was. Uh, I think that was uh, part of the, the Disability Employment Awareness Month when we did a whole was that it? Yeah, I can remember when day. that was. I remember you did that, and they had to play against a wheelchair basketball team. <laughs> that was a lot of fun. Yeah, I, I you know, talked to some of my fellow public liaison uh, <laughs> colleagues to come and play. Uh, that was a lot of fun. Yes, they had no idea what they were up against. <laughs> that was very obvious when they came out with their, 
you know, business suits on, and here comes that wheelchair basketball team that I knew, we, oh, no, they're going to rip them apart. But, yes, that was that was a lot of fun. Um, Jonathan, one of the questions we have been asked from a Mandy in Philadelphia is about the next question I'm going to ask you, which specifically her question was, do you believe that President Clinton, during the time you were at the White House, did a lot to help people with disabilities move forward? And I thought, Overall, in a general way, you could talk about some of the accomplishments you feel were made while you were at the White House. Well, sure. Well, you know what? I, I think when people think of accomplishments, it's probably most natural to think of very specific, concrete, tangible things like you know a piece of legislation and whatnot. But uh, you know, part of what you know I'd like to emphasize about President Clinton and my time there are, are two things. I mean, I think there are some tangible things too. But but one of them is. Um, President Clinton just got it. He understood disability in a way that was uncanny to me. And you know, that might seem you know, a little odd, perhaps, but I mean, disability, disability policy, the, the issues around people with disabilities doesn't necessarily come commonsensically. I mean, it, it's sometimes people just struggle to kind of understand it. And I remember any number of occasions where I would have worked with speechwriters on remarks and uh, you you may recall this from your uh, receipt of the President's Award, President Clinton always went last, and he had the opportunity uh, to hear everything that went before. And what you probably don't see on the cameras is that all throughout everybody's remarks, he'd be sitting there with his you know, draft of the remarks that the speechwriters had put together, and he'd just be sitting there etching out notes. And then I'd be sitting there in the audience holding the prepared remarks, and invariably, every time, he would go off remarks. And the amazing thing was... Usually, the best parts of the speech were when he just went off remarks and just said stuff either that came to him in that particular moment or he had jotted down some notes. And he, he would bring out stories of people that he had met, you know, around on the campaign trail and, and integrate them into this just phenomenal, fascinating discussion of policy. And I, I couldn't help but just be blown away at his, at his capacity to get disability issues. And, and that, uh, that has a lot of, you know, intangible impact. I think during my time there, President Clinton's ability to get a disability had a, a far-reaching impact that went beyond the actual individual pieces. We had a president who could talk about disability and talk about it well, who could talk about it not just in a token way, who could talk about disability as an integrated aspect of other uh, core administration policy. And, and that was a huge uh, achievement. Uh, and the other thing that I took a lot of pride in, and I would say on one level was, that, you know, something I'm most proud of, is that with President Clinton's approach to things, it was an inclusive approach to disability. I, I worked very, very hard to uh, work to make people with disabilities uh, a true partner in the White House, both through my email distribution network that I'd set up, uh, through various meetings. I, I used to describe myself as sort of a matchmaker, you know, even though I was responsible for every kind of disability and every kind of disability issue, I couldn't begin to be the expert on all of them. And so I would try to get people to talk to the right people. So if there was a White House issue about, you know, health care, you know, I wasn't the expert, but I could find people in the community who were and bring those people together. But, but that... Uh, Emphasis on including people with disabilities as an integral part of the administration, uh, in my mind, was was a great accomplishment. Certainly, yeah. there are some specific things. 
the Ticket to Work and Work Incentives Improvement Act, his executive order around hiring 100,000 people with disabilities in the federal government, the Mental Health Conference in the summer of 2000, uh, the Digital Divide Initiative, which we had worked very, very hard to have people with disabilities or disability incorporated as one of the prongs of the digital divide that needed to be addressed. Uh, so, I mean, you know, the list could go on about particular things, but um, but I think his his getting it and our effort to really include people with disabilities was was a critical uh, achievement, and, and part of that inclusion was appointing so many people with disabilities to be part of the administration, and that's uh, you know a, a record that we're trying to build on now with the Obama administration. Yes, and I think that. Uh, that is so important. I just want to say once again how much I appreciated uh, Michael Straubmanis and Kareem Dale both being on my show on Election Day. I mean, to me, that was unbelievable that here they are in Chicago in the midst of, let's face it, history being made in this country, and yet they took time to be on my show just so I would know they were committed to Americans with disabilities. That really impressed me. And uh, now we have Kareem at the White House uh, working as a, you know, a special assistant to the president on disability, and we wish him all the very best in everything that he does. But I do think it's so important to get as many people with disabilities appointed to high-level positions as possible because I believe that really makes a statement. I think you're absolutely right, and it's certainly easy to um, you know point out point out uh, you know deficiencies or shortcomings or to complain about this or that. But I, I think what the Obama administration uh, has done so far is really quite extraordinary. Uh, both Paul Miller as special assistant to the president for presidential personnel, and uh, Kareem Dale as special assistant to the president for disability policy, uh, those are commissioned positions. I mean, that, that's an honorific title, special assistant to the president. Uh, between special assistant, deputy assistant, and assistant to the president, uh, there aren't a large number of them. And for us to have two people from our community uh, is extraordinary. And I think, um, you know, I want to commend Don Gibbs at White House Presidential uh, Personnel, as well as Paul and Kareem for the efforts that they're undertaking. Um, you know, I think there's every sign that we are off to a, a great beginning with this administration to understand disability, to continue that, you know, uh, approach of including people with disabilities and, you know, tackling some difficult policy issues. But I, I think we're off to a great start. And I do, too, and I believe that Americans with disabilities made a difference uh, and do make a difference in the election and will continue to do so as we move forward. So, you know, just tuned in and we'll let you know of all the other great things that are happening. But I want to talk about one of my favorite topics with Jonathan. Every time when I go in my office in Pittsburgh, I have a photograph of myself and Jonathan and Every time I look at it, though, I can't help but think of this one day, and that's the day Jonathan told me when he called me on the phone and said, you know what, we really wanted to have like a disability history month, but we can't do that. So instead, what's the key? Employment. So here's what we're thinking of having a disability mentoring day. One day where people with disabilities, high school students, college students, would go to a company for a day of job shadowing uh, at the company. And why I'll never forget this is because we were the first 
city, uh, Bear, Highmark, Bender, and my customer in Delaware to do this other than, of course, all the federal agencies in Washington, D.C. And boy, Jonathan, look at it now. It's been amazing. Uh, and, and I'll say for just a moment, you know, your story about Tony, I can tell you why he did that. And uh, it, it's fairly simple in my mind. There is something about you that is eminently and immediately apparent as a remarkably capable, competent person who follows through and gets things done. So when I hatched this little idea of doing you know, something analogous to the you know, Groundhog Job Shadow Day and I was looking at other communities and public liaison and you know, different models for what they had done, you know, we had um, you know, about a dozen or so people that participated in the White House and I gave you a call and because I knew that you would uh, be as crazy as I was just to grab something on very short notice and make it happen, and you did. So I'm honored to say that you were the only person outside of the White House that first year who helped get uh, Disability Mentoring Day off the ground. It's now, I think this year, there were over 17,000 young people who participated in all 50 states and in more than 20 countries around the world. And we call it Disability Mentoring Day, and there's some controversy around the name, and uh, that could be a topic unto itself, but uh, obviously mentoring doesn't take place in a day. But one of the things that I was very struck by in working in the White House is the importance of a hook. You've got to have a hook to hang things on, and mentoring is a huge issue. It's a long-term endeavor, but it starts somewhere. For me, it started that day with Tony at the uh, the award at the Kennedy Center. For you, it started that you know brief encounter uh, at the President's Committee. And so our, our goal with Mentoring Day is to say, hey, let's break through some of the fear. Let's break through some of the uncertainty. Let's have job seekers have an uh, non-committed, non-stressful occasion to be in the midst of employers, and let's see what can come out of it. And we've got great stories of people who have come away with internship opportunities, with job offers, and with um, many communities. The whole the whole approach is to be very grassroots based. Uh, have really used it to promote, um, you know, active mentoring on an ongoing basis. So um, I actually uh, told a lot of folks when I left the White House that I thought more than anything else that single effort stood the most chance of having an enduring impact because so many policies can be changed and altered and reversed. But that um, has taken a life of its own, and I'm just honored to see it take off. Well, Jonathan, you were the man there. And let me just tell all of you, it's the third Wednesday of every October. It's now called National Disability Mentoring Day. If you go to www.aapd.com, which is, of course, the American Association of People with Disabilities, they coordinate this every year. And just so you know, this is the 10th anniversary coming oh, that's up incredible. this year. But last year, we had the national launch in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, and Mr. Kareem Dale flew in to be the speaker. So all those high school students that heard him speak and were there that day are so excited now, knowing that he is at the White House. And it isn't a day. I agree with Jonathan. That's why we have a program at Bender called the Bender Leadership Academy, where it starts on that day, and we keep it going throughout the year. But we've got to have a start. And that is a great start to break down discrimination and to show high school students with disabilities that there is hope. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to go to break, then we'll be right back to close the show with Jonathan Young, who is a champion of hope. 
for all people with disabilities. This is Joyce Bender, America's Voice, where disability matters at voiceamerica.com. We'll be right back. Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. And ask our all-star team to answer your question. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. I'm Garcelle Beauvais-Nylon. When I played a DA on NYPD Blue, I got all the facts before trying a case. Yet many don't know the facts about epilepsy. There are two and a half million Americans with the condition, and one in ten Americans will have a seizure in their lifetime. People with epilepsy want to lead normal lives, but too many of us don't know what epilepsy is or what to do if someone has a seizure. To learn more, visit epilepsyfoundation.org or call 1-800-332-1000. In the great scheme of things, a minute isn't all that much, unless you happen to have a stroke. All of a sudden, those minutes count. Minutes that could mean losing your ability to talk, move, or walk. Which is why, if you can get help in time, your stroke can be treated. The warning signs of a stroke include sudden numbness or weakness of the face. If you experience this, call 911 immediately. Visit strokeassociation.org or call 1-888-4-STROKE today. A public service announcement from the American Stroke Association and the Ad Council. VoiceAmerica.com if you have a question or comment, call in toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. Now, please welcome back the host of Disability Matters. Here's Joy Spender. And welcome back to the show. Listen, if you did not get to hear this entire show and you want to tell someone, just have them go to BenderConsult.com or VoiceAmerica.com because these shows are archived and they are on our site and Voice America forever. And great show for you to refer to any young people, uh, especially when you're trying to talk about the history of the disability community. Uh, one thing I do want to talk about, very important, Jonathan, is the inaugural ball, which this was, once again, who called me? Jonathan Young. It's always Jonathan calling me about these things. And unfortunately, I was at something I could not get out of because I was a speaker and I had made all these plans a year ahead of time. Uh, however, my company was a sponsor. Bender Consulting Services was a sponsor of the first ever inaugural ball, which was for people with disabilities. That's what I mean when I say first ever. Do you want to talk about that for a minute, Jonathan? Oh, absolutely, and thank you for being a sponsor. Bender Consulting Services seems to have its name on everything that matters uh, to take disability matters, uh, so we really appreciate that. And I also want to thank my own firm, Fox Kaiser, for being uh, a sponsor and particularly enabling me to devote a lot of time to that endeavor. The Disability Power and Pride inaugural ball, uh, it was fun. It was, it was great. It, it emerged somewhat spontaneously. We had a, a fundraiser that we hosted here at my firm. It was the first time 
the disability community had ever organized a presidential campaign fundraising event. That's not to say there was never any fundraising, but in terms of bringing an event together, we raised nearly $100,000 and I think proved to our community that we can raise money, that we can be an equal player in the political arena, and the Disability Power and Pride inaugural ball flowed out from that as a next step. And it's a sign of our growing political stature and influence. It's about being a player like other communities. It's a, it was a coming of age, and it's about not being on the periphery of politics, but being central to the political process. And by that, I don't mean big P partisan politics. I mean small P you know, in terms of the political process. We showed that we could celebrate the inauguration of a new president and vice president, that we could raise more than enough revenue to cover our expenses, which was very important to us, and to do it with class. And, uh, and here's, I think, what a couple of things that were the best part about the ball. One, it was fun. We have lots of great policy experts, and we do lots of great advocacy in our community, and that's critically important. It's also important to come together as a community to set aside some differences and just have fun. And I think by having fun, we can better exercise our political power. Uh, the other thing that was great about it was how many new faces, new people were there. Uh, I, I kind of thought it'd be all the usual suspects, and many of them were there, but we, we tapped into something. We tapped into something very powerful. This um, mantra of power and pride really seemed to resonate, and it's something we don't want to be one and done. We want this to be alive and well uh, going forward. Yeah, and I know from talking to Tony Quello and different people and Commissioner Griffin that you had like 800 or plus people there. It was nearly 1,000 people, and I didn't realize this until after the fact. We had an extraordinary ad hoc group of people working together aside from their day jobs putting this together. And I learned after the fact that apparently a lot of balls were being canceled at the last minute because they couldn't sell tickets. We originally... Uh, arranged for space for about 350 people and just kept increasing and increasing it because the demand was through the through the roof and had nearly a thousand people there. Wow! Well, that's awesome, and we want to see it again. Good we job, will. Jonathan. Good leadership. I, I want to tell you these next two questions, Jonathan. I've asked everyone for the past five years who has ever been on my show, and the next question seems to be the hardest question for everyone to answer, and that is, uh, in your case, you have accomplished so much in your life. I mean, you already started with that award, you know, when, when you met Tony, uh, but what do you consider as your proudest accomplishment? You know, it's interesting. I, I actually think the way that I would answer that would be a lot different than I would have answered it, say, a decade ago when we met, but to me... Life is ultimately about relationships, and that's what matters the most. It's what means the most. It's what has the most enduring impact in life. And so for me, both personally and professionally, uh, I think it's relationships. I'm uh, desperately proud of my wife, Nellie, my three little um, daughters, uh, Bella, Julia, and Katie, and um, on the professional front, too, I think part of what has made my life so much fun is the people I've had a chance to meet and um you know, like I was saying earlier, you know, policies can change, things can be reversed, but you can't take away those relationships. And I feel truly honored to have had the opportunity to meet, um, you know, so many, um, you know, extraordinary people. And uh, and again, I mean, um, I'm assuming you're looking for things more like, you know, things done. And on the professional side, uh, you know, I, I think it's really 
you know, maybe I do this to a fault, but I, I really strive to be a collaborator, uh, to, to bring people together. And, you know, that's certainly something I aspire to do in the White House. It's something I'm working very hard to do now with, with the efforts around the, the fundraiser and the ball, um, you know, but to bring our community together, to, to have people with disabilities be a true partner and, and an equal partner in the political process. And uh, so I'm very devoted to uh, inclusiveness and having you know, everybody be an active contributor. And that's really what I'm most proud of. Well, you th- that just speaks to what you're like, Jonathan. And, and let me just say, we're all proud of you. We're, we're proud of you in America because I know that you're the real deal and that you really do care about justice for all, including Americans with disabilities. So... Jonathan, you keep doing everything you're doing because as far as I'm concerned, you know, you're going to continue. You're a leader now, and you will continue to be a leader in America for us as we move forward. But before we go, I have to ask you this final question, and that is what message would you like to leave with our listeners today? Goodness, that is tough. Um... Well, first of all, thank you, Joyce. It's been really a pleasure to be on your show, and I just look forward to continuing to work with you. Uh, you know what? I, I can't help but talk about just sort of where we are in these times. Uh, so I'll take a bit of a forest approach. You know, we're seeing all the signs around us, uh, continual messages about the worst downturn since the Great Depression. Uh, it's not just here. It's all over the world. We know that people with disabilities are often the last to benefit and the first to feel the pain. Um, but our, our great disabled president, FDR, you know, said nothing. We have nothing to fear, but but fear itself. And I think that's every bit as true today as it was uh, in in the midst of the Great Depression. And you know, we hear a lot about psychological aspects now. And this is not to say it's a mental recession that it was caused by you know uh, uh, you know lack of confidence. But I think now that we have so many real problems at work, uh, psychology. Is, is a potential enemy because everyone, businesses, individuals, governments, everybody's understandably becoming more cautious. But the challenge is caution can be an enemy of growth, and there needs to be a certain amount of calculated risk to, to turn the cycle um, you know, back upward. But so here's you know, my message. I was really proud, and I applaud President Obama during his inaugural address to say, you know, look, let's talk about personal responsibility. This isn't just a matter of any one bill or uh, stimulus effort that's going to turn everything around. I mean, the stimulus is critically necessary. Uh, we do need to stimulate our economy, but it's, it's called a stimulus bill. It's not a, a solution bill. Uh, it's to stimulate activity, and that means that there needs to be something on the receiving end, and that's our share of um, uh, taking up our responsibility to do what we can to get our country back on the right track. And, and my message is let's exercise our political power and be true participants in the political process and let's show how the disability community, how people with disabilities can be true engines of, uh, of growth and for all of us to do our part to heed President Obama's call and, uh, and get our country back on track. Uh, we need to have the kind of hope, the audacity of hope that President Obama has described that doesn't mean being unrealistic, but it means forging ahead, working together, setting aside outmoded ideologies, and each of us contributing to the best of our individual potential. Yes, and how true those words are, because you you cannot allow fear 
to capture you. That is why at the end of every show we end with a quote by a famous civil rights leader or a person that has impacted the disability community in some way. And today I say, be the change you want to see in the world, said Gandhi. Be the change. Don't wait. Don't wait. You've got to be the change. Jonathan, thank you very much. Thank you, Joyce. All right, and this was Jonathan Young. Jonathan, we wish you the best, and for everyone else, see you next week. This is Joyce Bender, America's Voice, on voiceamerica.com. See you next week. Voice America would like to thank you for tuning in. Please join us next Tuesday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time for another installment of Disability Matters right here on the Internet Leader and Talk Radio, voiceamerica.com.